Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. It is our privilege to have Dr. Bob Jones with us today to speak. It's good to have his wife Karen with us as well. I appreciate so much his ministry. When I was a, a student at Bob Jones University and then on staff, he was the, the president, and I learned much from him. I appreciated so much his passion. And then I shared with our church family that when Pastor Mike Sproul asked me about the possibility of coming out here to be the president of International Baptist College and Seminary, uh, I talked to a number of either current or former college presidents, and Dr. Bob was the first one that I contacted. We were going to be in Greenville, uh, South Carolina for Christopher and Kimberly's wedding, and so when we were going down, I I contacted Dr. Bob, and he was gracious enough to make time. I went to his office and sat down and just uh, asked questions. And I appreciated so much his input and his wisdom, his guidance then. Uh, later that, that was in March or in June. And then in November, I had, had the privilege of speaking in the chapel there. And Dr. Bob was on the, the platform. He was the chancellor, Bob Jones. And, and before I spoke in chapel at Bob Jones, we were on the platform and we're talking about the possibility of my coming out here. And I told my staff, I said, I'm not sure how many people speak in that auditorium, and and they've got a bigger pressing thought on their mind than speaking. Uh, But I really was seeking guidance, and I appreciated so much uh, his input, his kindness, his graciousness. One of the things that I've learned a lot from him in ministry, but I appreciated so much his passion uh, for ministry. As a student, I remember him encouraging people in uh, BJ as a liberal arts uh, school, that is, they would go into uh, whatever area of work to look for opportunities where they could get involved in churches that needed help and to be faithful in serving there. And, and then as I was on staff, the challenge, the passion for souls that he had is it was a consistent reminder that people are dying and going to hell. And that's happening every day. And to keep that before us. Uh, in our ministerial class, the song that we would sing was Souls for Jesus is our battle cry. And his burden for souls was a tremendous encouragement and challenge. And there's a number of other things that you can read about him in the, uh, the bulletin that give you information, but I had thought for a speaker for the beginning of this year and with the idea of investing for eternity with that in mind, I thought his, his encouragement would be a great challenge. I wasn't sure that we'd be able to get him, but uh, he has been gracious enough to come and to spend this time with us, and so I'm looking forward to him opening God's Word and know that your heart will be blessed as he preaches God's Word to us this morning. Thank you, sir. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks a lot for giving me more South Carolina weather. (laughs) But you need this rain, and many of you have prayed for it, and I thank God you have it. It is a shower of blessing that... uh, all of the nature around us must have. When Pastor talked about speaking to me in regards to his coming to be president at uh, IBC, 
Uh, I had been president of BJU for 34 years, and he asked for my advice. And just very gently, I said, don't do it. <laughs> but he did it anyway. <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate greatly your pastor and uh, your pastoral staff, many of whom I have known through various uh, points of contact and some with occasional points of contact. I love this place. I love your founding pastor. We were the best of friends. And many of you I've seen in various venues around America in various places and your churches where God has given me the privilege to preach and it's wonderful to see you here, maybe in your retirement years or in whatever calling God used to bring you to this part of the world. You found a great church. And uh, you are ministering here and you are being ministered unto. I see former uh, colleagues uh, from the faculty at BJU. It's wonderful to see you here. Uh, we've walked the pathway of life a long time together and many graduates here. So this is uh, just a joyous occasion for Karen and me, and we're privileged in the extreme to be here. Thank you for making it possible. We love you and pray for you. Loved your mother and father dearly. I would ask you, please, to open your Bibles this morning to one verse only, 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 18, uh, verse 18. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I have just one word as the subject of my message. It is the word eternity. Eternity. Most of the resolutions or aspirations in people's hearts on this New Year's Day have to do with the things that are seen. And that's understandable and right, nothing wrong with that. Uh, we are in this world where God put us. This is his place for us at this time. And the Bible addresses so much of what is seen. My grandfather used to say, you can tell a man in five minutes from the Bible how to get to heaven. But most of the Bible is given to tell us how to live successfully in this world where we now are. So God cares about where we are in this world. He made it for us and he made us to be here for this time. But there is an eternity and it is near us. And that's what I would like to address today, because that's also what this verse addresses, the things that are unseen, which are eternal. The Bible says in Hebrews 9:27, it is appointed unto man once, once to die. There's no reincarnation. 
wants to die. And after this, the judgment. We all have eternity before us, but we don't all have the same eternity before us. I want to introduce you to a man named Arthur Stacy. He was an Australian. Some of you may have read about him or heard of him. Uh, in the early years of his life, he was a drunk and a jailbird. But one day, one night, Arthur Stacy stumbled as a drunk into a gospel meeting at a church. He said, I came there to get some tea and some rock cake to eat because I was hungry. I came to get the rock cake, but I went out with the rock of ages. He was, that was 1930. In 1932, he was in a gospel preaching church, a Baptist church in Sydney, Australia. John Ridley was the preacher. And he said in some point in his message, I wish I could go down every street of Sydney, Australia and cry eternity. And somehow that deeply affected Arthur Stacy. It just obsessed his mind. And as he walked out of church into the night, he felt in his pocket a piece of chalk. And just He didn't know why it was there, but it's a piece of chalk. And he thought, that man said, if I could go down every street of Australia and write eternity, I would like to do that. And cry eternity. He said, I'd like to do that. And he, and he stooped down, this semi-literate man, and in beautiful script, he wrote the word eternity, and with the tail of the Y, he came back under the word. Fast forward to 23 years ago today, not only the new year, but the new millennium. And because of where the dateline is positioned, January 1 came first to Asia while we were sound asleep over here. Well, we were wide awake over here, but they were asleep over there. It was midnight. And the media of the world was focused on Sydney, Australia, the first big town to welcome the new millennium and the new year. And so all of a sudden, at the stroke of midnight, everything lit up, fireworks went off, and on the iconic bridge across Sydney Harbor was a huge sign, 30 or 40 feet tall. There was written the words, eternity, with the tail across the bottom. Arthur Ridley, I mean, uh, Stacy, had influenced his city he not only wrote that word once outside the church on the sidewalk, but for the rest of his life, for 35 years, 
He went around Australia, Sydney, Australia, writing the words eternity. And for many years, nobody knew who was doing that. They tried to catch him. They finally found him. He was welcomed. He became a local hero. And when Sydney chose to welcome the new millennia, they used his words, eternity. I'm never surprised at what God will do because he can do everything. God chose for the world to welcome this millennium with the word eternity. We all have an eternity and we're not far from it. But very few aspirations or resolutions this New Year's Day will have to do with eternity. There will be aspirations from the hearts of those imprisoned for their faith in North Korea, in China, in the Islamic countries where the Lord Jesus is despised and his people are also hated and often incarcerated. Their desire is, Lord, would you set us free this year? There are people enslaved to addictions chemical addictions, sexual addictions, understanding the enslavement, but impossibly incarcerated, held in bondage to them. But seeing the wasted lives, the result, they would desire to be free, but they can't be free. They can't bring themselves by their power to be free though they wish for it desperately. The Lord says the truth shall make you free and you shall be free indeed. And there is something about the thought of eternity that scares the unconverted who are not ready for eternity, scares them to death. And rightly so, understandably so. If I have an eternity where I'm going to meet Almighty God face to face, because it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment, death is not the greatest crisis we will face. It's the judgment that follows death that is the greatest crisis. And men who are not ready for that, men and women, understandably fear eternity. And so they believe all kinds of false ideas Incarnation, soul sleep, cease to be, die like an animal. They desperately want to find some way to convince themselves, to believe a lie that man in this world is not part of eternity. <laughs> I remember once I was elk hunting with some friends of mine near Glenwood Springs, Colorado, on Basalt Mountain, if you ever know where that country is, Basalt Mountain. 
We arrived in the middle of night. We pitched our tent. It was freezing cold. There was snow on the ground. But we pitched our tent, unfortunately, in a very bad place where the melted snow during the day ran right through like a river through our tent for five days. We lived in mud for five days. We never saw an elk. It was a miserable experience. And on the last day, one of the men with us said, let's get out of here. We'll go into Glenwood Springs and I'll buy each of you the biggest steak you ever ate in your life. Well, that sounded good because we're our cook. Tried, but it, it was not great. So we packed up and went into Glenwood Springs and Glenwood Springs is a hot sulfur springs. Supposed to be good therapeutic stuff. We hadn't had a bath all week and so we dived into those springs. There was only one man there, an aged man. And so we struck up a conversation with him in the water. And he said, oh, I come here every day. He said, this is good for me. I eat well. I exercise. I come to these springs. I'm never going to die. Well, I said, that's interesting. I said, I, I don't guess you would be... Uh, uh, a candidate for uh, the product I have to offer, would you? You're never going to die. Well, he said, what, uh, what company do you work for? I said, the Eternal Life Insurance Company. <laughs> he said, oh, you're one of those preachers. He jumped out of the water and ran with his sagging flesh as far as he could go to the room and he disappeared. The thought of eternity is a frightening thought to people who are not ready for eternity. But it's a blessed thought to the redeemed who have been saved from eternal death, hell, and have been made heirs of eternal life through the redemptive, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. There is something invigorating to our earthly life if we keep eternity before us. There are wiser choices to be made during earthly life if we keep eternity before us. There are eternal choices. Things to do here that make an eternal difference. There are treasures to be laid up in eternity that would otherwise be laid up here. The reality of eternity is a changing reality. A life, earthly life changing reality. Living with eternity before us doesn't only affect eternity but it has great effect upon time earthly life the thought of eternity is a consoling thought a heavenly eternity with the Lord Jesus the creator God of the universe our redeeming savior 
It is a wonderful, wonderful, exhilarating comfort when you lose your spouse, your father, your mother, your child, a dear one who is ready to go be with the Lord. We all have an eternity and it is not far away. Some of us have been with a dear one when he or she breathed his last or her last breath on earth. Then we really know that eternity is not far away. It's one breath away. What a difference it would make if we lived every moment today and tomorrow and the next day and throughout this year with the reality heaven or hell depending on my relationship with Jesus Christ, heaven or hell, God's eternal prison house of hell is only one breath away from the unredeemed. And but by the grace of God, we would be there. That's where we were headed before he saved us. And around us, we have loved ones and friends who are one breath away from God's great hit prison house called hell, a prison house of despair. No flowers will bloom on the banks of hell. No beauties of nature we love so well. No comforts of home, music, or song. No friendship of joy is found in that throng. Here are some of the things that will be there. Fire and brimstone are there, we know. For God in his word has told us so. Memory, remorse, suffering, pain. Weeping and wailing, but all in vain. Blasphemers, swearers, haters of God, Christ rejectors while here on earth trod. More than humans on earth can tell. Are torments and woes of eternal hell. Eternal hell is one breath away from some in this room today. But you don't have to leave that way. There's eternal life in Jesus Christ. He didn't create man to die, but to live and sin when it is finished is what brings forth death. Temporal death and the second death, which is the death of the soul eternally in hell. What a difference it would make to us, not in the earthly resolutions we might conjure up today, think of all of our failures and shortcomings and good intentions that we need to start getting resolved. While those things can be fine and good, it is the resolution that by God's grace, Lord, I am going to live this year with the reality of eternity before my heart and eyes as your child. 
eternal life that you have given me. I could be an inheritor of this year. So because that is true, what difference is it going to make for me in whatever days of earthly life I might have left? One of my favorite Bible expositors, uh, Albert Barnes, said this, please listen. Things which are temporal refer particularly to the things which Christians suffer here. In fact, if you read this entire chapter, which I wish we had had time to read of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's written because Paul was reminding the Corinthians that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And Paul was rehearsing some of the uh, setbacks and persecution and rejection and hatred he had as a missionary for Jesus Christ. So he was reminding them of that, but he reminded them also that they are temporal sufferings. But Barnes said, it is as true of all things here also below, not only of the sufferings here below, but of all things here below. And then he starts, wealth, pleasure, fame, the three idols which the people of this world adore are all to endure, but for a little time. I thank God for that truth. They will all soon vanish away. So it is with pain, sorrow, tears, all that we enjoy, all that we suffer here must soon vanish and disappear. The most splendid palace will decay. The most costly pile will molder to dust. The most magnificent city will fall to ruins. The most exquisite earthly pleasures will soon come to an end. And the most extended possessions can be enjoyed, but for a little while. So the acutest pain will soon be over. The most lingering disease will soon cease. The evils of the deepest poverty, want, and suffering will soon be past. There is nothing on which the eye can fix, nothing that the heart can desire here, which will not soon fade away. Or if it survives, it is temporary with regard to us, we must soon leave it to others. And if enjoyed, it will be enjoyed while our bodies are slumbering in the grave and our souls engaged in the deep solemnities of eternity. How foolish then to make these our portion, to fix our affections supremely on the things of this life. How foolish also to be very deeply affected by the trials of this life, which at the farthest can be endured but for a little longer before they will ever be beyond our reach. So I submit to us, my dear friends, that one of God's greatest gifts to his redeemed people is the ability to do what this verse says, to look not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. That's God's gift to his people, to look at eternal things and doing so puts everything here in this life. All of our endeavors, all of our tears, all of our wants, everything 
in a right perspective. The secret of overcoming the debilitations of a sin-cursed world, this life, is found in the degree to which we can keep ourselves aware of our eternal future. And oh, that we might leave here this morning with that awareness and with the deepest desire of our soul that we should evaluate all things before us in this year before us in the light of the eternity that is before us. Just a few passages from the scripture to illustrate this and the message will be over. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. As you read the Old Testament, you become immediately aware there was something that the Old Testament saints had that enabled them to endure the inexplicable of their earthly life the dangers of their earthly life, the fears and disappointments of their earthly life. There was something that was motivational to them that enabled them to endure whatever this earthly life had to give them, every adversity, everything. Abraham, the Bible tells us, was one of those. Let's read verses 8 through 10 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should hereafter receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, that's the land of Canaan, as in a strange or an alien country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. The same promise of the eternity before him that gripped Abraham and enabled him to do the impossible things that God said he wanted Abraham to do. Those who followed him, Isaac and Jacob also, laid hold of the same promise. For Abraham looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He looked beyond Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldees, where he lived, where he prospered. He was a wealthy man with cattle and flock and servants and wealth, immense wealth. He was settled, he was happy, he was contented where he was and one day God said to him, I want you to leave all of this and go to Canaan. He didn't, he'd never heard of Canaan, never been to Canaan. It was hundreds of miles away, seven or eight hundred miles away and he had all of these dependents on him in 
you know, wealth brings its uh, woes and its responsibilities too. And he had care for all of them and he had to take all of them to this land of Canaan, which he knew nothing about because God said to go. And he made some stuttering steps. He didn't uh, uh, embrace that responsibility perfectly, but he finally got there because he looked beyond Canaan. He looked beyond Ur. He looked beyond Canaan. He looked to a city that God has prepared for those who love him. He looked to eternity. And he said, whatever God asks of me right now, I can do and I will do because this is not going to be for very long. There's a city that I want to be part of whose builder and maker is God. And then there were others who followed him also, his wife and others. Look at verse 11. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who has promised. She also believed God and looked for that city of God. Therefore sprang there even of one Abraham and him as good as dead. He was an old man. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore immeasurable, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off and were persuaded of those promises and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. There's the way to live successfully our earthly existence. This is a new year, but changing the calendar doesn't guarantee that anything's going to be different than it was yesterday. We were strangers and pilgrims yesterday, and we're going to be strangers and pilgrims today and tomorrow and throughout 2023. He lived the faith life he believed God, the Bible says, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. He was not a righteous man, but he became righteous like you and I, if we're redeemed. It was imputed to us by the all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ on Calvary's cross, the giving of himself, the sinless Lamb of God, to bear our sin, our hell, our just wrath, as sinners from a holy God took it all and gave us his righteousness. He got saved before the cross the same way you and I get saved after the cross by looking to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I'm glad we have these examples from the Old Testament. 
Uh, also in this Hebrews uh, chapter 11, we're giving another example of the Old Testament prophet Moses. But look at beginning at verse 24. <clears throat> By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, for he had respect. He was looking beyond life today. He was looking unto the recompense, the payment of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, fearing the wrath of the king he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He looked to eternity, to the eternal Christ who was going to come down through the ages when the time was right that God sent forth his son into the world to be our sin substitute. Moses was able to endure 40 years of leading the people of God. He started that journey at 80 years of age, fighting and kicking against it all the way. He didn't want to do it. But he did it because there's a reward, a payment for those who follow God obediently and reverently and trustingly. That made him able for 40 years of his life to endure all of those things of the wilderness of leading those two million recalcitrant Jewish people through the wilderness. He did it because he decided that the palaces of Pharaoh were not to be compared with the reward that would be waiting for him later. In fact, as you read the scripture, I, I point your attention to this one verse here in, 35, in the 11th chapter. <clears throat> it speaks of those, verse 33 who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weaknesses were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received of their dead, raised to life again, and others, verse 35, others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. They look beyond the life to the eternal life. God doesn't promise his children an easy life in this world. We're subject to disease, want, deprivation, disappointment, loss of jobs, loss of our earthly savings. No guarantees that God's people are going to have an easy life. We are 
in a sin-cursed world and we suffer the same that everybody else living in this world suffers. But our view of eternity makes our sufferings, our needs, our longings, our disappointments a totally different thing because they're just so temporal. When we leave this world, my Christian friend, we leave behind the worst we will ever know. When the poor unbelieving sinner dies, he leaves behind the best he will ever know. Where there will not be one drop of water on his parched tongue in hell to relieve his suffering even. So the Old Testament gives us wonderful examples of people who kept eternity before them that made everything all right here and even able to give thanks for because of eternity. The recompense of the reward as it's put here in the Scripture. God pointed His Old Testament people Israel who because of their idolatry suffered enslavement by God. They would not heed the prophet's warnings. They would not look to God of eternity. They became worshipers of the same kinds of gods the world worships, though they were God's people. And God finally had to give them up to judgment. But he sent his prophets to point them beyond the deserved judgments to that day when he would bring them to the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ, whom they rejected when he came the first time. And to that time he would come again and to the millennial reign of Christ, who for a thousand years would rule as this world in his theocracy. Listen to how Isaiah puts it in the 60th chapter. By the way, the last six chapters of the book of Isaiah are some of the most faith-filled, most poetic, most beautiful most faith-enhancing chapters of all the Bible. I challenge you to go and spend time in those six chapters, the last chapters of the book of Isaiah. 60th chapter, listen to it. God says, darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, Israel, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut by day nor by night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The sons also of them that afflicted thee, Israel, shall come bending unto thee. And all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, 
I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of the many generations. Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the work of my hands that I may be glorified. God said, Israel, the people I've created that you might represent me, you failed me, you became idolatrous, you did not exist for the reason I created you. The judgment that is upon you today for that will someday be turned when as in a day Israel will trust in their Messiah and God will reward them as his people. Even in the darkness of their bondage in Isaiah's time, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, he pointed them to eternity. Look, Israel, at what is beyond. And to the God of eternity. In the New Testament, of course, there are so many examples. Let's look for just a closing moment at the apostles. And the reminders that Jesus gave to those 12 men of their better future. In John 16, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, In the world you shall have distress, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, my friends, as God's people, we are a good cheer people. I mean, I haven't seen the headlines today, but I saw them yesterday and I got no good cheer by looking at the headlines. I got a lot of stress. I, 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 my, my wife will tell you, I, I, one of the things I, I have to constantly work at is staying away from, from Fox News and hearing all the bad things. Uh, there's nothing good here on the political scene. There's nothing good on the international scene. The world's foundations are crumbling. People are living in despair and fear and dread of what's coming upon us in this world. He said to his disciples, look beyond that and smile. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When Jesus said that to his disciples, he was on his way to the cross. He was on his way to having the world look upon him as a colossal failure. He was the king of the Jews and he was about to die. They didn't understand his kingdom is yet to come. And he said, I have, I have already overcome the world. It's an eternal thing from before the foundations of the world. God had the plan to sacrifice his son. I've already overcome the world. I'm going to bring all kings into subjection. Zechariah tells us in Zechariah 14, 9, that Christ will be king of all the earth. Okay. 
2,000 years ago while still with his disciples and before being put on a cross by the, the Roman powers and the Jewish religious system who teamed up to put him there to get him out of their world. He said, I've overcome it. It's a done deal. He was pointing them to a future that is still to come. And it is before us as well. I like what he said to his disciples in the 14th chapter of John, beginning the first verse. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, <clears throat> I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. He said, I'm leaving you. There's suffering ahead for you because you're my witnesses. But I've got a place ready for you. He's saying, look, look to the eternity that is before you. And everything here is all right. It's all taken care of. I have a balmy future prepared for you, uh, for your troubled hearts. My friends, this is something that those outside Jesus Christ have no knowledge of or no expectation of. These promises of the wonderful eternity for the people of God in Christ Jesus are totally dependent upon the authority of the Bible and the integrity of the one Jesus Christ who spoke these promises. If he and his word be not true, if he is not risen from the grave as he said he would, if somebody can go point to his bones somewhere, he's dead. He can't fulfill any of this. He said, but because I live, you shall live also. We have a wonderful eternity, my friends. One day the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, recorded in Luke chapter 8, it says it came to pass on a certain day he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. And he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased. There was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith. What was embodied in, embodied in those words, where is your faith? He had made them a promise. 
we are going to the other side of the lake. There was a storm between them and the other side. And they thought the storm was going to do them in and that was going to be it. But he had made them a promise. You're going with me to the other side. And I would have us to leave here today assured because of the integrity of Jesus Christ and the authority of his word. There is a wonderful eternity on the other side waiting for us. There was a preacher named James Stewart who died in 1990, a Scottish preacher, who wrote a book called The Strong Man. And there's a chapter in it where he points to a 12th century monk, French monk, who wrote a beautiful poem about eternity entitled Jerusalem the Golden. Somebody's put it to music. It's a beautiful piece of music. But in that poem, we find these words. O sweet and blessed country, the home of God's elect. O sweet and blessed country, that eager hearts expect. Jesus in mercy bring us to that dear land of rest. Who art with God the Father and Spirit ever blessed. God ever blessed. There are scoffers who might say that's mere sentiment. piffle. But James Stewart says, Jerusalem the Golden, written 800 years ago, when it was written by Bernard of Cluny, there was a world around him that was rotten to the core and ripe for doom. The plunging back to chaos and primeval darkness and the hearts of the faithful remnant Christ's pitiful minority looked wistfully beyond earth's miseries and sorrows and grew homesick for heaven. Is the instinct of immortality then mere sentimental otherworldliness? The nostalgia of the weak and cowardly? On the contrary, it is the virile faith of the heroic and the strong. It is the true essential realism. Let your blind whirling say what he likes. We are strangers here and exiles and pilgrims of eternity. This is not our rest. The earth is too narrow to hold us. Our citizenship is in the heavenly Jerusalem and in our Father's house are many mansions. Let's pray together, shall we?